So uh, those of you who know my, uh, my Facebook prowess, a couple of you laughed, yeah, know that I don't post very often. But I posed the question on Facebook this past week. I said, name a famous pioneer and what they did that earned them this distinction. And I got way more responses than I anticipated. Here's just a, a snippet of what people said. Charles Babbage, he was a pioneer in designing the first analytical engine. Brigham Young was a pioneer leading people across the country on foot and wagons settling in the Salt Lake Valley. We got Lewis and Clark, who is related to Christy. That's right. Put a shout out there. They explored the Louisiana Purchase and beyond. We got Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, pioneers in technology. Uh, Jay Hudson Taylor did pioneer work in China. Uh, Hank Aaron, Jackie Robinson, pioneers in baseball. That's only 10 of the names that were listed. Other people mentioned Elizabeth Elliott, Sister Mary Rose, Bay Rustin, and many more. Last I checked, I had somewhere between 25 and 30 responses to my question. I didn't even know I had that many friends on Facebook. <laughs> Some people must have posted twice. <laughs> or three times. Thanks, Dad, if you're listening. Each one of these people... Men and women were pioneers leading the way so that other people could follow. Catch that. They were each pioneers leading the way so that other people could follow. Okay, Grab that thought and let me pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for our time this morning where we get to open up a scripture. I pray that our time would, would be pleasing to you and I pray that we would hear from you this morning. I pray this in your name. Amen. So we're in week three of a study of the biblical book of Hebrews. And uh, the book of Hebrews is not typically preached on on a Sunday morning. Most times you hear sermons from the Gospels, from, from the Gospel writers' pen and parchment about the Easter story. But this morning I'm going to stay in Hebrews, and here's why. You know, we're, we're uh, studying Hebrews with the intention of considering Jesus, of, of thinking deeply about this Jesus in the last two weeks, we've claimed that Jesus is, and then dot, 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 he is God's son. He is a true humanity. Today, I want to tell you that Jesus is the perfect pioneer. Jesus is the perfect pioneer, and the empty tomb is proof of that. The empty tomb is proof. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. We're going to spend some time in this verse, and we'll, we'll spend a little time in the verses after if you want to grab your Bibles. The NIV reads, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Hear it again. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. You see it in there? Jesus is the perfect pioneer. Now, these are the words of the NIV translators. Other translations call Jesus the leader, the founder, the, the captain, or the author of their salvation. Any of these could work, but here's where I think the word pioneer works best. So the Greek word is archagon. I think we have it up there. Yep. It's a, it's a combination word coming first from arcs, which means the first, and ago, which means to lead. So it properly means the first in the long line, a, a procession, a file leader who pioneers the way for others to follow. 
Archegon does not strictly mean author, but rather a person who originates or founds a movement and then continues as its leader, a pioneer leader. This word literally means someone who begins something in order that others may enter into it. Someone who blazes a trail for others to follow. Okay, so picture, we, picture with me, as N.T. Wright says, an explorer cutting his way deep into the jungle. Nobody's been this way before. There's no paths, no trails, no signs that it's possible to get through this way. And I would add no cell phone use so that you can't do map quest. Okay? Yet this explorer, this pioneer, goes on forging his or her way through the impossible terrain until he reaches his goal. Explorers do this sort of thing for various reasons. Fame, fortune, sheer curiosity. Jesus did it out of love. Jesus did it out of love. The jungle was the whole world of suffering, pain, sin, and death, and nobody had ever gone through there before and come out the other side. When Jesus did it, he opened up the new way into God's new world, and Jesus did it so that others could follow. Jesus was the pioneer that blazed the trail for us to follow so that humanity could follow him. And the reason... For the beginning of Hebrews 2.10 is this, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. For God chose to bring many children into glory. The Greek word for many is paulus. It means multitudinous. That's a fun word. Say it with me. Multitudinous. All right. It means plenteous. It means much or great amount. It emphasizes the quantity involved. Jesus pioneered so that large amounts of others could follow. The empty tomb. Death defeated Jesus to come to our neighborhood to live as he did, die as he did, come out on the other side the way he did. These are moves and motions of a true pioneer. And he's got this bullhorn saying, follow me, even through death. This is a true pioneer. But more than just a pioneer, I'm saying that Jesus was a perfect pioneer. Listen to the verse again. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through his sufferings. Now, if you take out all the clauses and commas, the verse could simply read, it was fitting that God would make perfect Jesus the pioneer. To make perfect. The Greek word for this, uh, to make perfect, is teleosei. Uh, This verb stems from the adjective teleos. And listen to what one commentator says about this word. He says, in the New Testament, this word teleos has a very special meaning. It has nothing to do with abstract and metaphysical and philosophical perfection. It's used, for instance, of an animal sacrifice, which is unblemished and fit to be offered as a sacrifice. It's used of a scholar who's no longer at the elementary stage but is mature, of a human being or an animal who is full grown, of a Christian who's no longer on the fringe of the church but who's baptized and committed to it. The basic meaning of teleos in the New Testament is always that the thing or person so described as perfect fully carries out the purpose or plan for which he or she was purposed and designed. Let me read that again. The basic meaning of teleos in the New Testament is always that the thing or person so described as perfect fully carries out the purpose or plan for which he or she was purposed and designed. 
Jesus, according to this definition of teleos, fully carried out the perfect for which he was designed. Meaning, he was the perfect pioneer, blazing the trail through death for us to get to God. Jesus fully carried out his purpose to blaze that trail for us to be back in relationship with the Father in the way relationship with the Father was meant to be. A perfect pioneer. Ah. I'd love to just stop there. Some of you guys would love for me to stop there too. You're thinking, all right, I can still get to that Easter egg hunt and my ham will be ready when I get home. I'd love to just stop at a happy Easter message to such a good-looking, happy Easter congregation. Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. Good. You're still awake. He has pioneered death for us. He has lived it perfectly, but if I stop there, I won't have even done justice to one complete verse in Hebrews. I didn't even look at all of Hebrews 2.10. Let's look at it again. Hebrews 2.10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Through what he suffered. It was only right that God should make Jesus perfect through his suffering. Suffering. I don't like that part. I I definitely don't understand that part fully. Frankly, I want to leave that part out of this text and out of this Easter sermon. But I can't. I cannot ignore it. I can't leave it out. It's there. And honestly, this past week... Suffering has stared me in the face. It's taunted me. It's made me question, why, God? Why through suffering? Why not some other way? Why did you have to affect Jesus through suffering? You're God. Figure something better out. Right? That's how I felt. We find our answer to this question of why suffering in the rest of our text So listen and follow along to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 to 14. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make perfect Jesus through his suffering into a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters, For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is I and the children God has given me. Verse 14, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power over death. I'll stop here for just a moment and say this. I, I believe that what we, first, what we just heard was the first answer as to why Jesus had to suffer in order to be made perfect. It was through his suffering that he could identify with us. It was through his suffering that he could identify with us. Verse 11 and 12. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That's why he's not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. He said to God, I'll proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among the gathered people. He calls us his brothers and sisters. And this is more than just, yo, what's up, bro? 
That's not that type of brother. This is an I am truly one of you type of brother and sister. He quotes a line from out of Psalm 22 to make his point. Psalm 22, verse 22. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. It's interesting that the author uses this specific text in this specific psalm to make the point that he does. Because out of this psalm, there's several prophetic, uh, fulfilled prophetic statements coming out of the text during the Easter crucifixion story. You recognize this in chapter 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said that on the cross. Or verse 18 in Psalm 22. They divided my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. That happened while Jesus was on the cross. I could look at other verses as well. But we're looking specifically at how Jesus' sufferings helped him identify with us. Okay? Tell me, First Church. Have you ever felt like this? Have you ever prayed like this? God, God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away from me when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you don't answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. I'm scorned. I'm despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer. They shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. God, don't stay so far away from me. Trouble's near. No one else can help me. Lord, don't stay so far away. You're my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever felt like that? If you have not had those times in your life that have brought suffering that's resulted in cries of agony and beckoning from help from God, just wait. It'll happen. We suffer. As humans, due to our sin, we suffer greatly. And Jesus needed to suffer in order to identify with us. It was part of his calling. This past week, I watched a special on the Boston Marathon bombing. Um, You guys know that this past week was the one-year anniversary of that. The TV special interviewed the one man who had turned and looked and saw the mastermind of the, the bombing and then very soon after had his own legs blown off. The part that struck me most during the interview was what this guy said. He said, I finally recognized, I finally realized what my life calling was. It was to help work with those who had prosthetics. This guy could only know that and do that because he had to get them. It was through his suffering that he was able to relate to others. In quoting Psalm twenty-two, twenty-two, the author of Hebrews is saying, Jesus can call you brothers and sisters because he can identify with your sufferings. He was, he is flesh and blood. Verse 14 says that, just like you. It's one reason God made the perfect pioneer perfect through suffering. Now I want to stop for just a moment and have kind of a mid-sermon application. Okay? I don't think that too many of us would argue if I said it is through suffering that we grow. It is through challenges. Those are the times when we grow the most. I mean, spiritually, physically, emotionally, right? Are you the same person you were back before you went through some challenging times? No. 
Okay? So recognizing the growth that takes place in you during times of pain and clinging to the truth that Jesus can identify with you in that, my practical application is this. Don't run from suffering. Don't wish it away. I wouldn't suggest seek it out. But when you're in the middle of it, don't wish it away. It's not fun, but it may be that Jesus, you get to meet him in a way you have never met him before. In that suffering. Scripture tells us he knows our every need, right? And it may be that he knows that what you need is to find him with you in the middle of your struggle. It is through struggle that the perfect pioneer can identify with us. So don't run from it. That's the first reason I think Jesus had to have suffering to be perfected. The second reason I believe God used suffering to perfect Jesus was it allowed him to do more than just identify with us. It allowed him to sympathize with us, to feel what we feel. Verse 14 and 15. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Hear me this morning, First Church. I am sure Jesus got to experience the full range of emotions that we do. The highs and the lows. I'm sure he laughed. And Scripture tells us that he cried. He was tired, hungry, frustrated with apathy. He felt emotion just like we do. Okay? But the author of Hebrews takes one specific emotion and takes a dagger to the heart of something every single human being will feel at some point in their life. The fear of death. Hebrews 2, 15. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. A different translation, he did this to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I asked Bruce England if I could share this with you today, and he gave me permission to. We all know that uh, Bruce's wife, Chris, is in the process of dying. Okay? She's got a cancer that has almost defeated her body. I think it was only last weekend that she was moved to hospice house. Okay? Which means that the time is near. So a week ago tomorrow, this past Monday, I visited her. It was just her and I. And surprisingly, only through her nods and my talking, we had what I would call a very nice conversation. I left that morning, one, knowing that death was near. Honestly, I'm surprised that she hasn't gone home to be with the Lord yet. Okay, But two, I left knowing in my heart of hearts that she had accepted Jesus' conquering death of the grave. I saw no fear in death on her face when I used her name and Jesus' name in the same sentence. Chris, you and Jesus are good, right? You know what happened? She went from this half-blank stare. She turned and looked me in the eyes, and she smiled. Oh, it's beautiful. And then she went right back to that half-blank stare. Chris had no fear of death when I mentioned Jesus' name. As I drove away, though, that afternoon, actually it was that morning, it was a different story. As I was driving down division, fear of death hit me hard. I mean, in a very real and very tangible way, ask my wife, I called her, okay? Having sat close, close, close to death just moments before, I was now scared out of my mind for death. 
And I've sat in the same room with some of you when your loved ones have gone, when, when your loved one is still in the same room, and I have not had that same emotion. I haven't had that same rush of fear come over me like I did when I was driving away from visiting Chris. I had the fear of death. That's not supposed to happen to a pastor, is it? But it did. And Hebrews 2.15, this week, gave me real comfort. Gave me freedom. Jesus faced death. As he was getting nailed to the cross, he knew death was coming. Was he afraid? Did he fear death? Most people would say no. I'm not so sure. I hear hints. Bare hints, minimum, of fear in his cry of anguish. Why have you abandoned me? Now, I may be a bit unorthodox in my thinking, but I think Jesus felt the fear of death as flesh and blood like you and me, and I think he conquered that fear. I think he pioneered his way through it so that we too may follow. That's one of the reasons I love the empty tomb. I love the empty tomb because it proves Jesus beat the fear of death. It wasn't just the fear of death that Jesus felt, that, that Jesus empathized with us. I love how eloquently one commentator put it. He says, through Jesus being able to identify with us like we talked about moments ago, Jesus sympathizes with mankind. He literally feels with them. It's almost impossible to understand another person's sorrows and sufferings unless we have been through them. A person without a trace of nerves has no conception of the tortures of nervousness. A person who is perfectly physically fit has no conception of the weariness of a person who is easily tired and the pain of the person for whom life is never free of pain. It is often true that a clever person, one who is easily learns, cannot understand why someone who is slow finds things so difficult. A person who has never sorrowed cannot understand the pain at the heart of the person whose life grief has come to. And a person who has never loved can never understand either the sudden glory or the the aching loneliness in the lover's heart. Before we can have sympathy, we must go through the same things as the other person has gone through. And this is precisely what Jesus did. Why did Jesus have to suffer to be made the perfect pioneer? His sufferings allowed us to feel what we feel. So what do we do practically with this knowledge? How about this? We let him feel with us. We let him feel with us. That's right. Let him feel. I mean, for me personally, if I'm genuinely lonely, I'd wish that on no one. If I'm angry, I don't want anybody else to feel the rage that can boil up in me. If I'm broken with grief or anxiety, I don't want to see anybody else go through that. But I'm suggesting you this. Allow Jesus to feel it with you. It's not an additional burden for him. He's been there. He's done that. He's felt it already. And in feeling it, it perfected him. So let him feel with you. A perfected pioneer through suffering. I'm still not a big fan of suffering, but it appears it was necessary. Okay, My third and final reason why I think it was necessary for Jesus to go through the suffering he did in order to be the perfect pioneer was that in going through it, he best knows how to help us. Verse 16 through 18. We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. 
That's us. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. In verse 18, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. He's able to help us when we are being tested. This, this is one of those verses that's often quoted when people are going through hard times. Right? Gee, Jesus was tempted too. He can help you get through that. That's true. That is very true. But the author of Hebrews here, I think, is making a stronger point than just that. See, the author's thinking includes general temptations to sin, right? General testings by hard times. But his primary concern is with the pressures of the world that would lead his hearers to withdraw their loyalty from him and turn away. I hear pressures of the world, and, and I could also say the, the questions of the world. You know the ones that are asked. Why would a loving God allow you to go through that? Where is your God now? You, you really believe that? Isn't this whole religion, religion thing just coercion? I mean, you've heard those questions, right? There's bound to have been times in your life where you thought, is, is, is this real? I've thought that. Okay, there's some vulnerability on an Easter Sunday morning. It wasn't too long ago that I went through a three-year dark night of the soul. You could call it three years. I didn't sense God's presence. I didn't feel his presence. I didn't hear his voice. Daily, I would say, God, take me out of this. I mean, spiritual directors, counselors call that the time in the desert. Okay, God, I, I want to be done. Take me out. And nothing. Nothing. Where are you now? I never got to the point where I was ready to turn away. But I'd be lying if I said it didn't cross my mind. I get paid to do this. There's still the pressure, the questions to turn away from the faith. You know what my spiritual director told me in those three years many times? James, stop trying to get out of the, out of the desert. Invite Jesus in. Invite Jesus in. He's already there, but you need to do that for your sake. I would give you guys that same advice. If there's questions, if, if there's pressures, I'd invite you to invite Jesus into those questions. Jesus, I'm struggling. Don't take it away from me, but be here. Hebrews 2.18 tells us Jesus can help us fight against those pressures to turn away. He can do it because... He's been there. He's faced that. As a human being, he suffered the temptations we do, the struggle and hard times that we do. And I would say that the, the temptations to turn away the, from the faith like we face. He pioneered those struggles. And since he knows them, he can help us through them. Listen to 2.18 again. Since he himself has gone through those sufferings and testings. He's able to help us when we are being tested. Jesus is the perfect pioneer. Perfected through suffering. And his calling card, his proof of the perfected pioneership, the empty tomb. The empty tomb. Tomb. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? It's no longer here. The 
because we have an empty tomb. Jesus is no longer there. He's boldly gone where no man has gone before, and he's summoning us to join him. Will you? Will you go into uncharted territories knowing that Jesus has already charted them? Your journey with him could start today. Come and find me later if you're feeling that nudge. I know one thing. As the author of Hebrews challenges us to consider Jesus, to think deeply about this Jesus, this perfect pioneer, I know that I'm in. I've enjoyed the journey most of the time. It's been hard, but it's been worth it. I'm trusting Jesus since he's gone before me that he knows where to take me. He knows where to take you as well. Let's pray. God, what a reminder on this Easter Sunday that you are a perfect pioneer. You are one who has blazed the trail. You've come to us, become one of us, faced all of life, the joys and the hardships, and you faced death, and you've gone through, and you have called us to come with you. I suppose that'd be the, the words from the song, come and die with you. Jesus, what a joyous day it is when we realize we can and we too can have this Easter resurrection in us and in our lives. I pray you'd help us to grasp that. And Father, this morning I I ask that if, if there are people here who have not begun that journey with you or who have strayed away from that journey and they're ready to come back, I I pray that you would weigh heavy on them and that they would take time to talk to somebody, myself or somebody else, who they know would be able to point them towards an empty tomb and a risen Christ. I thank you for Easter. Jesus, I love you. Amen.